here's what I say to speakers. It's basically this. Again, it's about outcomes. And that is you need to go through your content until your content comes through you. That's the formula. And if that takes a day, it takes a day, if it takes years. So there's no cookie cutter in the way that I do this because everybody's different. Every audience is different. Every message is different. Like this, you just can't, in my judgment, apply a standard approach to something that is so very dynamic. And so with me, it's all about outcomes. You need to go through your content till your content comes through you. And then you take that content and you prioritize the little bits and nuggets that you want to put together in a talk and you apply that to whatever your desired outcome is for that talk. This is the Entrepreneurs United podcast with your hosts, John St. Pierre and Rich Hoffman. Hey, entrepreneurs. Today we have a conversation with Steve Lowell, who's a master trainer to high impact speakers. He's a three time internationally sold best selling author. And he's trained over 500,000 people globally. Welcome to the show, Steve. Hey, thanks for, uh, for inviting me and it's great to be here. And my first question for you is this master trainer to high impact speakers. Yeah. So you are like a speaker to speakers. How did you get the, the career of coaching speakers? So I've been on the stage since the age of six. And so at six years old, I was a guitar player, a young guy, small guy, big guitar, big glasses. And so I started a musical career and I started a band. And in my early teens, I wasn't the lead singer. I was just the leader of the band and the guitar player. And I was the front guy. And by the time I was in my late teens, I was touring the country. I'm from Canada. We were touring Canada, playing bars and pubs and fairs and that kind of thing. And I, I decided I wanted to become a professional speaker. And the way that I decided that was I stumbled across a video of Zig Ziglar. And I watched this guy on stage and I thought, man, he's got no equipment to carry around. He's got no drunk bandmates. His audience are not bikers and, and drunk people. He's stay, saying stuff and getting paid. I'm, what a great job that would be. So I joined a company called the Dale Carnegie Training Organization, and I ended up becoming a trainer with them. And I realized that I had a bit of a gift during that time. And my gift was I could be an, I'm a good speaker because I had a lot of years on the stage speaking, but my real gift, what I determined and what I found was putting other people on a stage and pulling magic out of them that they never knew existed. And so I left the Carnegie organization for a bunch of reasons and I just started doing it on my own and I've been doing it ever since. So I've been traveling the world, speaking at events, holding my own events, and I literally speak about speaking. And so that's where that all started. Steve, by the way, Rich and I, 1996 or 97, can't remember, Chicago United Center, Zig Ziglar on stage. What was the name of the session, Rich, that we went to? It was a Peter Lowe. Yeah, Peter Lowe. Peter Lowe's leadership, and they had Colin Powell, they had a whole bunch of speakers, and I connected with Zig Ziglar, like, no tomorrow. The saying that Rich and I used to have for many years was, I won't see you at the top, I'll see you over the top. It used to be <laughs> my key mark saying back in the day. Yeah. So we connect on that level, Steve. But, That's cool. But here's the real question I would ask if I'm listening to this. And yeah. by the way, I'm currently in that current position myself where I've been out and spoke to a few groups a couple of times. But when I saw Zig Ziglar on stage that day, my thought was, wow, I would love to do that someday, but I don't know if I can, number one. Two, imposter syndrome. Who wants to mm -hmm. hear from me when you can listen to Zig Ziglar or Tony Robbins? How do you really help entrepreneurs or people with a message to really get out there? 
You know, that whole imposter syndrome thing is huge. And I struggled with that, man, for years because I was really good at helping people pull out their authentic self, their personality on stage and tell their stories and craft their message and all those things. But in my head, I never really had anything to say that was of any importance to anybody until I, I figured that whole piece out. But the way we help people get their message out, and that's a huge question. So we're going to start with this. Most people have a message. I believe that everybody's got a story to tell. Everybody's got a message to share. And, and so many people never get a chance to share those messages or tell those stories because they don't have the confidence. They don't have that belief. They've got that imposter syndrome and they don't know how to get that message together. So the first thing we do is find out what exactly is the message? What is the one thing that you wanted to bring to this world and change their world? And for some people, it's about affecting change. They've got a big story or they've spent their life mastering some kind of a craft or an expertise or wisdom, knowledge, ideas, whatever, and they want to change the world. They want to help people. And then for others, it's about, I want to monetize. I want to sell my coaching programs. I want to sell my consulting programs. So everybody's got a different desired outcome for what they want to use speaking for. So we find out what exactly is the message and what is the desired outcome? Why do you really even want to do this? And then we just start pulling it out. And this is part of what I can do is start pulling the message out, putting it together, helping you learn how to deliver it in a way that makes you appear to be different. I know this when I was going through some of the folks on previous sessions in your in your podcast, differentiation comes up a number of times. And so I've got my own perspective on that. But that's one of the things we try and do is how do you position yourself a little bit differently as a speaker? And then we just go from there. Steve, we had a keynote speaker at CertaPro in my business, and I had the opportunity to do lunch with him. This was back, I'm looking at my notes, in 2020. I had asked him at lunch, how do you construct your keynote speech? I want to share with you what he said, and then I'd love to hear your answer to that. Sure. He said what he does is he has seven minutes to frame a point. There are two parts to a story with a joke in the middle. Okay. And that was where he started. So he said, so if I have 30 minutes, I know I'm going to have 7 to 14 to 21 to 28. I'll have roughly four stories, four points that I'll be able to make. Each one will have two parts and something to breathe in the middle that makes people think or a joke or something in the middle. If I were to ask you, how do you construct a keynote speech? And you don't need to validate what he said. I'm just sharing with you an example of an answer I found valuable. How would you answer that? How do you construct a keynote? So constructing a keynote, it's like this. There's no right or wrong way to do it. That's a way that works for him. And that sounds like a reasonable mechanical way to do a keynote. And if it works, great. And I've seen a lot of keynotes constructed a lot of different ways. So here's the way that, that I do it. The order of events is not as important to me as the outcome. So when I'm working with clients and I'm creating my own talks, my first question is, what is my desired outcome? What is it I want that audience to be able to do, to think, to feel, to have? What is it that I want to affect that audience? And how do I now backwards engineer the talk to reach that outcome? And so a talk is so much more than just first do this, then do that, then do this, then do that. A talk is really a good signature talk is about how do I stand in service to this audience and what do I have to do in my 20 minutes or 30 minutes to facilitate that service? 
And so sometimes there's step-by-step approach and sometimes there isn't. So every single talk is different, but I always start with the end in mind and I work backwards and engineer and put things in the talk that are going to help me get there. The other thing that's important to understand is this, and this is a guiding principle that I use in one of the many, and and I, I teach every speaker this, and I abide by this today. The understanding that speaking is not about a transference of information. Speaking is about a transference of emotion. And my job as a speaker is not to educate you, although that will happen. My job as a speaker is not just to entertain you, although that will happen. But my primary job as a speaker is to get you to feel about my message the way I feel about my message. And so I'm going to do whatever I need to do within that 20, 30, 45 minutes to make sure that occurs. And it, and sometimes there is a structure to that. It's a mechanical first two, two minutes of this and then a joke and then a story and then this first part of the story and then a joke. And sometimes it's like that, but sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes it's I have first 10 minutes is to get the audience to a certain destination. I want them to believe something. I want them to question something. I want to rattle their beliefs, shake their paradigms, have them question the nature of their condition. I might want to do that. I might want to build rapport and have them feel like I understand them. So for me, it's all about outcomes and a whole lot less about tactical strategy. First do this, then do that, then do this, then do that. Mm, That's insightful on you want your audience to feel the way you do. What are some tools that you use that you often recommend the speakers about how to do that? So there's this concept that I use and I call it transformational content. And there's some principles that apply that determine whether or not your content is transformational. And so the problem I have with so many speakers, I've seen thousands of speakers, I've spoken and been to conferences all over the world, it's what I do. So one of the issues I have is so much of the content that I see comes from really good, talented speakers. I see somebody who's got great content, great message, great stories, great, like great everything, but whatever they're saying, I've heard it a million different times. I've heard it a million different times from a million different people, and there's nothing in it that makes me go, huh, I've never thought of it like that before. So what makes this content in service and of value are here's a couple of things number one it's really valuable if the content is positioned in a way the audience has not considered it before as soon as i can get the audience to go wow i've never thought of it like that or i've never heard it like that before that starts the process of serving the audience because now they're open to getting new information as much as possible i want the content to be proprietary i want it to come from my brain I want it to come from my creativity, my experience, my wisdom, as opposed to just reporting what somebody else has been doing for a hundred years. Now, some of that exists. There's not that much under the sun. So you're going to take a lot of the stuff that you've learned over time and, and apply it. But I like to try and encourage my speakers to question everything they're saying, everything they know, they think they know to be true, everything that they feel is truth for them. I want them to question it. And we go through this process of, I want you to try and disprove it. Try and disprove everything you're saying. And it's not for the purpose of disproving it. It's for the purpose of looking at it from different perspectives from which you may not have looked at it before. So now what that gives the audience is it gives the audience a new perspective. So if it's proprietary, like if it comes just from you, the audience hasn't heard it. If they start questioning, the audience starts questioning what they believe to be true. And they start thinking, maybe I should do something different. I've never thought of it like that before. That's the first sort of trajectory that we want to set for the audience. 
And that way it opens their mind to new ideas, new information, new concepts, and they start considering things a little bit differently. And that's really a great way to serve. What's a rough formula that I could consider on for every 10 minutes, you should have X amount of time working on your content and X amount of time working on your presentation of it or for every half hour. Do you have any formula of expectations for speakers? No, because everybody's different. But here's what I say to speakers. It's basically this. Again, it's about outcomes. And that is you need to go through your content until your content comes through you. That's the formula. And if that takes a day, it takes a day if it takes years. So there's no cookie cutter in the way that I do this because everybody's different. Every audience is different. Every message is different. You just can't, in my judgment, apply a standard approach to something that is so very dynamic. And so with me, it's all about outcomes. You need to go through your content till your content comes through you. And then you take that content and you prioritize the little bits and nuggets that you want to put together in a talk and you apply that to whatever your desired outcome is for that talk. I've given talks from half a day to four minutes and you still have to have the same result. You need to be as powerful in four minutes as you are in 90 minutes. And that means you need to go through your content till your content comes through you. And that way, measuring out for one minute for this, two minutes for that becomes less significant. What would be one thing that you borrowed from the Dale Carnegie training times that you find yourself just using constantly? (laughs) So the reality is the reason I left the Dale Carnegie, because when it came time for me to sign the contract to become a trainer, I couldn't actually do it because... What I learned during that time was there was an awful lot that Dale Carnegie was teaching way back then that I didn't actually resonate with and I didn't actually agree with. Now, I didn't know why I didn't agree with some of the techniques. They just didn't feel right to me. And I couldn't in good conscience go through with this whole thing because I knew that when I signed this contract, I would have to go and continue to teach things their way, of course, which makes perfect sense. But I didn't believe in a lot of the things they were teaching. And so I just, I can't do this. So I decided not to sign the contract and I stepped away and I went in a completely different direction and I left the whole thing behind. So the reality is there is virtually probably nothing that Mm -hmm. I use from the Dale Carnegie days with the exception of maybe one little exercise, which I have twisted to apply to my own circumstances. But there's virtually nothing there except for the fact that it was in Carnegie where I was able to validate that I can do this. And it's a specific moment in time that I went, oh, I can do, I'm really good at this. And there's a specific moment of time of that. But in terms of techniques and strategies and procedures and all of those things, there's none of it that I use. Well, Steve, I'd love to ask you what some of those things were that you didn't align with. I'm not sure if you feel comfortable sharing those, but it'd be juicy to find out. I don't know much about it, but was it because it was aged in time at a different time of life when they were created? Is it because of other reasons? Yeah. So yes and yes. So I'll give you one simple example. Okay. And I don't know if they still do these things. I have no idea. I haven't been involved with them in 30 years or more than 30 years, but it was like this. They the instructors would instruct the participant to do something. And I was sitting in the back of the room at the time. I wasn't an instructor. I was, you know, what's called a graduate assistant. I'd been through all the programs many times. And what would happen is I would watch the instructors and I'm watching the participants. And in my head, I'm coaching. 
right? In my head, I'm coaching them. I was fascinated by the whole process. And so as the instructors would coach, I, sometimes I would say, oh, that, that's good. But most of the time I'd go, why did you ask them to do that? So one of them would be, for example, one of the instructors would coach the student to stand in front of the room with their hands down by their side and keep their hands down by their side as they speak until it was time to gesture and use the hands to gesture and then hands back down by the side. I didn't know why that felt wrong to me. It felt awkward to see people try and do it. And so I knew it. there's got to be a better way than that, but I didn't know what it was. And so that's one example. But what happened was over the next many years, I had to do some studying about the brain, about neuroscience because of a relationship I was in and, and there was a family member who struggled with severe mental illness and I didn't understand those behaviors. So I started studying what was going on with that person to try and understand the brain. Why are they behaving this way? And what would happen is I would come across something that how the brain works. And then I'd go, Oh, that's why keeping your hands down by your side doesn't work. That's why audiences respond this way. That's why this thing works and that other thing doesn't. So over those years, it was, I was able to validate all the things that I was suspected worked well and appeared to work well and that I was teaching. And I was able to validate a lot of them through the neuroscience and the brain science that I was reading, trying to figure out this other thing. So that was one. Certain body language techniques didn't resonate with me. The way that, that they taught people how to use the real estate, the platform, didn't resonate with me. There was a lot that didn't resonate with me. And so when I went off, started doing it myself, it was scary because I didn't have any real validation as to why I was teaching what I was teaching. I just know that it worked and people were getting great results. Steve, it's interesting you talk about the hands by the side. I went to a training where it was very have your hands by your yeah. side and gesture above the waist proportionate to the size of the message. If you're not going to be gesturing, have them down. What is the more correct way that you looked at in neuroscience to say, this is a better way to do it, actually? What is that? Yeah. Okay. So that particular example was validated not through the neuroscience studies, although that's how I found it. But that comes from a guy named Mark Bowden, who lives in Toronto. He's from England, and he is a sort of a body language expert, right? So here's the way he explains it. And this is the way that I, I apply it now. And I always attribute this to him because that's where I learned that particular piece of knowledge. Here's what happens. Your brain says there's only two reasons why your hands should be there for a prolonged period of time. One is because you're in motion and you're, you swing your arms when you walk. So your arms should be down because that gives you propulsion when you walk. The other is that your arms aren't going to move if you're asleep. So what happens if you stand there and your arms are you keeping your arms down by your side for a prolonged period of time, the brain says, hey, wait a second, we're supposed to be in motion, but we're not. So we must be asleep and all your energy drains down. And it's really hard for a speaker to maintain a high level of energy, a high level of enthusiasm to get emotionally engaged or physically engaged in their content when their hands are stuck down by their side. So there's that. And then the other piece is gesturing at different levels in, uh, of height have profound impact on your message. So one of the exercises I do is I'll bring somebody up onto the stage and I'll give them these instructions. And I'll say, why don't you keep your hands down by your side and do put the, whatever you want to do with them there, but keep them at that level by your side. Then I'll say, I want you to repeat these words as naturally as they come out. You know, we could even try this. Are you up for, a, are you up for an experiment, Rich? 
Oh, okay, cool. Okay, stand back, stand up, stand back. Okay, yeah, we're getting yeah. risky here because you never know how this is going to fly. Okay, okay, so as naturally as you please. Okay, I want to and just relax, shake it off a little bit, relax. And as naturally as you please, I just want you to say these words. Okay, and John, I want you to just pay attention to what the message feels like. Okay, okay. so here are the words, Rich. I've told you everything I know. I've told you everything I know. Okay, let that descend for a second, John, and just feel that message. Now, I want you to take your hands, Rich, bring them up to the level of your navel. Now, no higher than that. I don't care what you do with them there. As naturally as you please, I don't care. I've told you everything I know. So, I've told you everything I know. Okay, so now just by moving the hand changes the impact of the message just a tiny little bit. Now, bring your hands up to the level of your heart. Okay, I don't care what you do with them there. I've told you everything I know. I've told you everything I know. There, did you see the change in inflection? I've told you everything I know. The voice changes. Now take the hands, put them over your head. Okay, I don't care what you do with them there. Same message, I've told you everything I know. I've told you everything I know. See, the hands go like this. Now it's a bigger message. So what happens now when you do that, sometimes the change is very subtle like it was here, but sometimes what happens is the people just, like the whole voice changes. The facial expressions change. The landing of the message changes. So John, my question for you is, did you see any difference at all in the message, the way it felt just by moving the hands? Well, I definitely saw. Some people listening to this may not have seen the reaction was different. Right from Rich for sure. As he moved up, he moved his hands more actually. Is kind of thing. But then I also heard certainly from the bottom to the top, if you had to rewind the tape and go bottom to top, there's a big difference. There's you a didn't difference. see it as subtly along the way, but and that's right. And it's, sometimes it's a very subtle change. Sometimes it's a very significant change. And the point is that when we speak, when we move our body certain ways, the physicality of that changes the impact of the message, even if the voice doesn't. And when you're on the stage, the physicality of your message is as mission critically important as the vocal impact. That's why hanging your hands down by your side and not moving them except to gesture diminishes the impact of the message because it diminishes everything about you. What is the neutral position? I understand you're saying not hands by side, but what is the appropriate neutral position? Yeah, so this is really awkward because this is, so many people struggle with it. What do I do with these ridiculous things, right? So the neutral position that I like is at the navel, about the level of the navel. And what I do is, and I'm not in a position where I can stand, but if you back up, back up, yep. I can show you. Yep. Okay. Now take your fingers and just loosen up the fingers. Now put them around the level of your navel and just let the fingers touch. Just let them touch. Don't cross them like this. Just let them touch. Even if you have to bounce them a little bit, even lower than that even. And you just let them just touch like this and even bounce them a little bit. So what happens is at first it feels awkward like it probably does there. But when you're once you get used to that, it just becomes a like a normal thing to do. And the good thing is about this is that it forces you to move your hand. It, it's easy to move your hands. When you're like this, your hands can't, it takes energy to rip your hands apart. When they're down by your side, it takes energy and thought to bring them up. But when they're just bouncing in front of you, they're not going to bounce very long. They're going to, you're going to be using them far more than if you're just standing there. Yeah. Mm. Steve, yeah. I want to bring us into a different track here for a few moments. I want to go back to something you said, but if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't see myself speaking in the future. I'm not going to be going on stage. Maybe I should check out and go listen to another podcast. I want you to hold on just one second. There's something that Rich and I, you and I have not spoken about in five years on this podcast that you and I learned out of college, and it's the principles of adult education. 
And when you spoke earlier about speaking and forget about speaking on stage, if you're listening to this, think about just public speaking. Think about speaking on a Zoom call with your team. Think about speaking in a conference room with your team and learning skills as a leader and entrepreneur to be able to properly speak with a group. The one key you threw out off the bat was be unique in your message and have people think, oh, wow, I've never thought about it like this before. Oh, wow, I don't know the answer to this. And Rich, what you and I used to call that was gap. You need to gap your audience right off the bat so that they sit up in their chair and they go, wait a minute, what are you talking about? I need to listen in some more. I think it's a huge key, regardless of how you're speaking to a group or a small group, small team, whatever it may be. If you want your message to be hit, you got to gap them. And that's a principle of adult education to really hook people into what you're talking about. So I got that. I got, it's got to be proprietary. Don't be reshuffling everything from everybody else. Have it be unique to your situation, your company, your message, your learning, your story. And I got, have the audience question their own thoughts. So those are three things I got from principles of adult education. Even I have nothing really just speaking. It could apply to any environment where you're speaking with a group, even in your own business. What are some other principles of speaking to a group that you would say are really key for people to learn? Okay. On your podcast, on your show, I mentioned earlier, there was a several guests there that talk about differentiation. Now, I'm always interested in that different key ideas for differentiation. There was one there that you had someone named Roy Osing, I think his name was. He talked yep. a lot about differentiation and he had this set of dumb rules, which I thought was really cool. And you had Kira. I think her name was Kira, Kira on there. Yep. And yep. she was talking about getting in the realm of inspiration and all these things. So here's the thing. I always believe that differentiation from a speaking perspective, not necessarily business perspective, but as a speaker, you don't actually have to be different, hmm. but you do need to appear to be different. And so this is a major principle. So let me explain an example of that. Okay. When I'm in front of an audience, I ask the audience often this question. I'll say, put up your hand if you or somebody you know is in the market for a tennis instructor. Let me ask you guys, do you guys know anybody who's in the market for a tennis instructor? Right off the top of your head. I may know somebody in the market for a pickleball instructor, but not tennis. Not a tennis instructor. Okay, <laughs> cool. I asked, I've asked this question like to audiences of thousands of people and usually no hands go up. Maybe the odd one will go up. But what I do with the audience, and I'll do this with you, is I'm going to guess that you know somebody right now who's in the market for a tennis instructor. And I do this with the audience. And then I tell them about this guy named Brian. Brian came to me about 18 years ago or so. And he says, Steve, I'm going to all the networking groups. I'm going to all the chambers of commerce and all the B&I groups and I'm meeting all the people and shaking all the hands and making all the calls. He said, I'm just not getting the business that I need. And I said, Brian, what do you do? He said, I'm a tennis instructor. And so we taught Brian this fundamental principle. And this is the answer to your question, John. The fundamental principle is this. Anytime you speak or present in front of an audience, and I'm talking about as a business person or an entrepreneur, that's my audience. That's who I work with. So that's from this is from that perspective. Anytime you speak or present in front of an audience, you're either positioning yourself as somebody they need or somebody they don't. And those are the only two options. You're either positioning yourself as somebody they need or somebody they don't. So when Brian, the tennis instructor, says, I'm a tennis instructor, he's positioning himself as somebody they don't need. So what we did is we make him appear to be different. So now if you see Brian today and you said, Brian, what do you do? He'd say something like this. He'd say, you know how sometimes kids 
have so much energy. They get so excited and they're bouncing off the walls and they're yelling and screaming and having fun and they're making so much noise. And the parents get so frustrated because they have no idea what to do with these kids. He'd say, what I do is I take kids of any age, I bring them on a tennis court, I absolutely exhaust them and I hand them back to their parents. (laughs) So let me ask you this question. Is it possible you just might know somebody who just might be in the market for a tennis instructor? And now I say this to the audience, put up your hand if every hand in the place goes up. So I do that as an example. And the example is Brian's a tennis instructor. Everybody knows what a tennis instructor does. He's really no different than any other tennis instructor, but he makes himself appear to be different by that answer. That's what speakers need to do. Speakers don't have to be different, but they do need to appear to be different. So how do you appear to be different? You appear to be different by some of the things we've talked about. How can you rattle the audience's beliefs? How can you give them something new to consider? How can you make them go, I've never thought of it, or maybe I'm doing it wrong. And it's not that it has to be jaw-dropping, earth-shattering, life-changing new information, because there's really not that much of that around. It's about taking what is available and reframing it so that it lands in the audience's mind in a way that rattles them a little bit. And now... As an entrepreneur, a big part of my business is helping people monetize when they speak. How do they bring their expertise and messages to a stage, live or virtual, and then monetize it by getting business? But now the audience looks at you different and they start thinking, maybe I should talk to that one. Yep. Okay. So, Steve, let's do a little case study with me because you did a little case study with Rich. I'm feeling a little left out. Okay, Uh, John. One with me. So I recently had a book that came out at the end of November. Uh, yeah, I have been speaking and public speaking for 25 years, Rich and I, and but in a closed loop yeah. within our organizations, within our companies. So although I have a network, don't have a very large network. I had a, my first speaking engagement of the year last week, actually in New Orleans. And, and kind of, so I, I know I need to go through the motions. I need to really practice my messaging and really work on some of these things, but I'm on a mission to impact entrepreneurs and help them build the business of their dreams without making some fatal mistakes like I've made. I get out there more. But the question is, my loop and my network is pretty small. From a marketing perspective, not a marketing of my message or not a marketing of the content I do when I'm on stage, where should one go or where should I really look to expand my network? Is it joining associations? Is it going on some of these paid sites? Is it just calling everybody I know and say, hey, you're looking for a speaker? What would you say from a getting myself booked to go speak? What would be like the three or five step plan? You say, John, here are the three or five things you should be doing right now in 2024 to get exposure so people want to book you. Okay. Okay. So let's do this. We're going to, I'm going to ask you some questions. Okay. What's the purpose of you speaking? What are you trying to achieve? I want to help entrepreneurs build the business of their dreams without falling off the cliff. Okay. And so you want to help entrepreneurs build the business of their dreams. That's cool. Would you, are you willing to do that for free? Yes. And so this is the outcome. You don't really care if you get paid. In 2024, that is correct. I'm building a business of coaching and mentoring and speaking. So I want to build up the repertoire where I do get paid to go speak. I want to be conscious of my time Um, and I am charging to go speak. But if you said to me, John, I got you booked for 200 people tomorrow, come out. I'll be there because I want to sharpen the saw there. Okay. And is it important enough to you to actually pay to get on a stage to share your message? Probably not. So then now it's about you want to, and I'm not challenging you. I'm just trying to get clear on what your objective is because it's all about outcomes, right? We got to know where you're trying to go. So what I'm getting is that you want to help entrepreneurs. You don't want to help them enough to get to pay to get on those stages, but you help, you want to help them enough to get on the stage for free. And if you get paid, that's okay too. 
Correct. Getting, I am spending money on marketing. So if you frame it a little bit differently, okay. maybe yeah, I would okay. pay because where I'm marketing on Google or I'm paying to go speak, one is the same. I really want to connect with as many entrepreneurs as possible with got it uh, and okay. connect with them in that way. So that's an interesting way of framing it. But yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. This is a much longer conversation than we can have here, but I'm going to shorten it up. Okay. Yeah, so here's what we would, here's what I would do. I'm going to break the world of speaking down into two worlds for you to make it very simple. Number one is you've got the pay for a fee side where you go, you get paid, you speak and you go on and you move on. And then you've got what I call the speak to sell side. Even if you're not selling anything, that's what I, I call it. Because if you're going to go out there and get on stages and speak, my guess is part Part of this is building a list. It's getting building your community. You need to sell them into something, even if it's not a financial transaction, you want them to join something. Yes? Yes. Okay. Got it. Okay. So we have these two worlds. Here's the reality. This, the speak for a fee wor world is likely not going to serve you. Although that doesn't mean you're never going to get paid. What it means is if you pursue that as a marketing avenue, it's not going to achieve your outcome. And the reason is because in that world, the barriers of entry for continual activity are extremely high mm -hmm. because you're competing with, you know who you're competing with, like all the other Zig Ziglar's that are out there, right? Or either that, or you're speaking for a very low fee. Now you can get in that world, but it's a, barriers of entry are high. The monetization opportunities are very low and it's a very difficult world to actually be consistent in. And your message is going to be constricted because you're not going to be able to have the access. So on the other side, and if this other side that I call the speak to sell side, and we break that up into two categories. And what we've got is speaking for free so that waiving your fee so that you can get in front of the right audiences and there's pay to play. And now, and you can do both of those. That particular world is going to be much more fruitful for you because you're going to be able to get in, tar in front of the targeted audience. You're going to get easier to get you on the stage. The barriers of entry are very low because you're not asking for money. And there are opportunities for you to take some of that money you're investing in Google ads and all those things. If that's not getting you in front of the people you want to get in front of, take some of that money and get on a stage that gets you in front of exactly the people you want to get in front of and then curate that list by having a great presentation and getting them to sign up to something. And the reason I'm putting this out for you, John, is because that's precisely what we did. I, I played in this world for a long time, the pay speak for fee, and it was fine and it was great. And then I discovered this other world by accident and it changed everything. It changed my complete life. And I think it can accomplish what you're trying to accomplish because your audiences are going to be targeted. Your audiences are going to be invested. That's why they're there, as opposed to a group full of employees who are yeah. paid to be there and told to be there and had to be there. Yeah. You're going to get in front of the audience that want to be there. Yeah. And now you, so what if you're not getting paid? You're going to monetize it 10, 12, 100 times the level if you do it correctly. And they are two profoundly different skill sets. This awesome. skill set is profoundly different from this skill set. And so yeah. we, this is why this is the conversation I start with first. Where are we going to go? Because the skill sets are profoundly different. I'll take you anywhere you want, but the skill sets are profoundly different. Where'd it start? Yeah, let me recap what I took from that. And it's an angle I'd never heard before, right? There. See, uh, that's what you want your audience to be saying. Yeah, it's glam <laughs> good point. It's glamorized to say, I'm gonna start this new high tech company, build it to a billion dollars and sell out, right? And that's the unicorn business. But everybody wants to try and create that type of business. When in reality, it's probably best to create a business that generates cash flow, grows slowly, you own hundred percent of it, and you grow it nicely. And the same thing can be applied to the speaking world in my mind, uh, and in others' minds, it's glamorized to become a speaker and get paid 20 grand, 50 grand, $100,000 to go speak. But that's the unicorn side of the speaking business. 
When in reality, what I want to do is connect with entrepreneurs that I can help coach, bring into mastermind groups, help them build the business of their dreams, which is post speaking yeah. relationships and business. Why not go to another area where you have a more engaged audience and don't worry about that one time fee you're making? Worry about building that relationship with an audience that you can propel a much larger opportunity in business for you in the area you really want to build. And I never thought about it that way. Really yeah. appreciate that insight. If I wanted to continue to polish up or people want to continue to polish up their public speaking skills or speaking on stage type of skills, do you have any books or videos that you would recommend people look at? Or do you have any resources yourself that people could go access? Sure. In fact, I want to offer your audience a book, a free download of my PDF of one of my books. It's called From Stage Fright to Spotlight. And it's my, the first book that I wrote back in 2011 and 99 Speaker Secrets to Breaking the Rules and Mastering the Stage. So you can get that at stevelowell.com. It's all lowercase, stevelowell.com forward slash free dash book. You can get it there. And on my website, there are videos there. There's there are some events there. My other books are there. There's lots of stuff on my website at stevelowell.com. And so that's a really good place to start. And you can contact us there if you'd like to explore how we might do this further. Great. Appreciate it, Steve. This has been a great conversation. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. Thank this you. was fun. Let's do it again. Stay tuned as John and Rich unpack today's conversation. John, I absolutely love the concept of speaking is about the transfer of emotion and you're trying to get your audience to feel the way you do about your message. And I can see where I've done that well at times in the past and at other times I haven't been so focused on it, but I can see the value of it. It's something I'm absolutely going to start including when I craft a stage message or even a message in a meeting. Yeah. I love the way it brought us back to our past of training at our roots. Principles of adult education, create a gap with the audience so that they want to listen, tell a story because a story will really connect with the thoughts and then have them question their own beliefs as to, oh, you know what, maybe I should be looking at it this way. And that's really a principle that you can apply to your business. I think a lot of the conversation was about speaking to an audience you may not know, but we speak every day to people within our own business in groups. And we have to learn how to do this on Zoom calls. That's something we should have actually talked to them about. What about these virtual speaking engagements where you're talking to people across the globe, potentially on a call? What, are, what should you be thinking about then to keep people engaged and not be looking at their phone? Or do, you know what? I regret that. We should have asked Steve some of those questions about with this new world, it's not always on stage. Sometimes it's in camera just like this. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of companies and people that are running these meetings that are an hour, two hour long on Zoom or on Google Meet or whatever the medium may be. We really got to perfect our skills there as well. I'm going to give you one of the quotes from Steve and my observation of it. And then I want to check in with you. So he said, go through your content until the content comes through you. I feel like over the course of your writing your book, I feel like I observed some of that. Like at first, I feel like I observed you going through the content. And then there became a point that was almost like the tipping point that you weren't going through the content anymore. The content just started coming. I feel like I observed that. Just want to check in with you on, is that something that you experienced? Did that happen in your book writing that you went through the content until the content came through you? Not intentionally, that's for sure. And that's something I imagine Kira helped with. No doubt. But you know what it is, Rich? It's the power of refinement. It's the power of conviction. 
I could tell you there was times when I was writing the book where I wasn't really sure what the seven principles should be and should it be this and should it be that? And then you start interviewing people and then you start hearing other stories and then you start talking about your principles and you see it connects with people. And then as, as you go forward, the repetition of your own message, right? It's almost like visualization in your head. You say who you say you are. As you repeat to yourself who you want to be, you actually become that person. As you repeat your content over and over again, you see it connecting with people. And you see it making a difference in some people's businesses. Now it's kind of like the gospel, right? No, now it's coming right through me. And I never really thought about it in the way that he made that quote. But that's something I appreciate you noticing that because I wouldn't have noticed it on my own because it's just natural evolution. You don't actually see the difference between now and when I first started. But as you say it, I recognize it. So that's cool. Yeah, it's almost like in the beginning, you're trying. And then all of a sudden, there's a point where you don't even have to try. You're just you don't even think you're almost unconscious. You're just saying the words because they resonate so deeply. I can relate with that experience of speaking at our conferences, for example, where I think through the content and then I do very few dry runs because I just know here are the bullet points and the pockets I want to get into. Once I get confident on those, yeah, it just comes through me. I don't even know what I'm going to say, but I know the direction that I want to go. So I can absolutely relate with that. The differentiation in speaking is appear to be different. It's interesting. You don't have to be in franchising to have a system or a way about doing things in a business. Every business has, here's the way that we sell. Here's the way that we produce either our service or our goods. And every business wants the people that work within it to do that with consistency. And a way to do that is to talk about the same thing, but a little differently. Mm. It's a little bit of a different twist. Come at it from a little bit of a different angle. Yes, it's that same thing. So that was something that came to me in this, in the differentiation and speaking is appear to be different, but it may not actually be different. And there's some of that I know we do at CertiPro where it's the same system. For the last 30 years, it's been a relatively same stable system. Sure, there are subsystems within it. But when we're talking about the same stable system, we've got to look at it from different ways. So it appears to be a little bit different. If you think about it too, just the principles of marketing, I think there's a book called Purple Cow that we I read back in the day, right? Like, how are you really differentiating yourself? But that doesn't mean you have to be different in terms of what you do or what your message is or what the influence you're trying to provide to people to send them in the right direction, but how you appear. And I, a couple of people come to mind right off the bat, right? Michael Alasso, he's different. And it comes out in his presentation style and who he is. But at the end of the day, the communication techniques he talks about, are, it's not really that much different, but it's special because it's his and he makes it right. his own. So I think trying, if you want to be a speaker and connect with having that differentiation and how you approach it is really important as well in the beginning of your content to really not be, okay, here's another speaker telling us, as he mentioned, Steve mentioned, telling us stuff we've heard a hundred times before to position it a little bit differently like you're doing in your business where it's positioned a little bit differently, but it's still kind of the same guts is really important. I, I love that. And I think, you know, the other part that came to me when you were mentioning about the differentiation is ultimately what's your desired outcome. Your desired outcome is not to be completely off the wall different. Your desired outcome is probably to achieve something that the group wants to achieve, which is not much different than what they want, but how you approach it is the secret sauce, so to speak. It, to me, when I've been part of a keynote, sometimes when the when it starts, I'm not really sure where they're going. 
but at the end, it led me to where I want to be. And so that that desire of what you guys do this a lot in your business too, when you start a session, what's your purpose and measurable outcome? Knowing, being very clear, that should happen in every single meeting. What's the measurable outcome of this meeting I'm having with this group to know at the end of it, did I achieve that goal or not? Everything else is the window dressing a little bit to get the people engaged into that measurable outcome. And literally everything that is done in that session of speaking has to be vetted by, does it serve the outcome? If it doesn't serve the outcome, it may be really good. It may be really cool, maybe really helpful, but it doesn't belong here in this message if it doesn't serve the outcome.